please open up your Bibles, please, to the, the book of Colossians chapter 1, and we will be picking back up where we left off last week, uh, to verse 24, verse 24, uh, 1 Col- Colossians, or Colossians chapter 1. Now, as we take a look at Colossians chapter 1, we see that as so far in the first 23 verses, uh, Paul brings about the main theme of his letter. Yes, he's going to address the issues that are going on within the church body there with the fact these false teachers are coming in and trying to uh, pull the believers away from the simplicity of Jesus Christ uh, for salvation. We see that in verse 18, the preeminence of Jesus Christ, the supremacy of Jesus Christ in one's life. That is what it is all about. And you're going to see throughout the rest of the letter, the four chapters, this, four, this small little letter, that it continues to be all about Jesus. And today there's no difference. As we see, as we continue in this letter, we call it at the end of chapter 1, but in the beginning of the letter that he's writing here, it continues to be a focus on Jesus, all about Jesus. Now, if you remember, it kind of continues very from verse 23. It says in verse 23, indeed, you continue in the faith. He's, again, he's writing to believers in Colossae, people he's never met. He's in the prison, prison, uh, in, the prison in Rome, so he's never met these believers. These believers that he's writing to and ministering to and wanting to encourage and and teach them and educate them and try to warn them, as we will see in the scriptures here and through this letter, it was about the fact that he, and when he went to on the missionary trip to Ephesus, a hundred miles away, he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. That people got saved, and those people went out into Asian Minor. Now we see here. In this place, this location in the part of Turkey, it was Epaphras who was raised up and got saved and raised up and, and became that pastor for that area. So Paul wasn't their personal pastor. It wasn't somebody he raised up and, and led to Christ there personally. But that didn't stop him as an apostle to do the work that God's called him to do. And that is to warn and to teach and to encourage and to help those in the faith. And so we see here that Continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which, you, which was preached to every creature under heaven, which I, Paul, became a minister. I became a, a servant to do what God's called me to do as a child of God. This is my calling. This is what I'm called to do once I got saved. And that's why he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. So we see here in the very first verse that he, I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for you and, and fill, fill up in my flesh what is the lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So Paul said here right from the beginning, I'm in prison, yes. Yes, I've been suffering. I've been doing all kinds of things that have been happening in my life. It hasn't been easy as a Christian. I'm sitting here in a Roman jail writing to you because of the love that God has put in my heart to write to you about. To help you to keep your eyes and focus on Christ because, yes, there's going to be sufferings in my life. There'll be sufferings in your life and you're experiencing some challenges and turmoils and tribulations now there in Colossae. 
But he was still able, Paul was still able to see that his sufferings, though he had went through many sufferings, were still being used by God for doing a good, something good for the others that were watching his life. So that's why he could say that his sufferings, he could still rejoice in the sufferings. Why? Because he was doing it for them. And why would someone go through a sufferings that as he went through, through the beatings and shipwrecks and everything that we see in the scriptures, why would Paul, why would a believer go through that for someone they've never met? And the reason is because Paul was suffering for his Savior, Jesus Christ. We saw that in Philippians 3.10, the fellowship of his sufferings. We have fellowship in his sufferings. Like Paul, that like his early, the early apostles, Paul rejoiced that he was counted worthy to suffer the shame for his namesake. We see that in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. He wasn't suffering as a Christian because he was a thief. He wasn't suffering because he was going out and beating people. He wasn't going out there and being suffering as a Christian because he was doing an evildoer and doing evil things and stealing and, 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 and being mean and, and being wicked against people. He was suffering because he was sharing the love of Jesus Christ with anyone who would listen to him. But even more, think about this. Why would all of these False teachers follow Paul throughout the, the known world. Why would they lose, leave Jerusalem to go up into areas, these Jews go up into the areas that we refer to as Judaizers, go up into these areas and follow from town to town trying to discount or, discount or to, to, in, uh, to, to intervene and to hinder the work of what God is doing through Paul's life? We're going to see a glimpse of why. Because what God was doing was so radically different in the minds of the people there in Jerusalem, those Judaizers, those, those who got saved, but were adding to the gospel. They were, could not handle the fact that this was such, that Paul would minister to the Gentiles. They couldn't understand why he would do that. But here we see Paul was rejoicing in his sufferings and he was filled up in his flesh with the, what was lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body and which is in the church. Notice this. Not only was Paul suffering for, because of Jesus Christ, that he saw this was a good thing that he was able to be counted worthy of suffering for Jesus' name. That as, as he goes out there, he was, it was an honor to suffer as a Christian. There was a special blessing and reward reserved for faithful believers who were suffering for the sake of Christ. We see that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. That he understood there was a greater reward. There was a promise for him. And that he was willing to go through these sufferings for all of that. But the second reason why Paul would cause him to be rejoicing in his suffering was the fact that he was suffering because of the Gentiles themselves. Paul was chosen apostle to the Gentiles. We see that in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. In fact, he was a prisoner in Rome because of his love for the Gentiles. 
He was sharing his love and continued to share his love and minister to them, even though the reason why he was in Rome is because he was ministering to them. He was arrested in Jerusalem, if you remember, on false charges. And the Jews listened to his defense of why Paul, the, the, the poster child of Pharisees of Pharisees, a Jew of a Jew, pedigree and everything and stature and money and positions and power and everything. Why would you give all of that up to leave and to go and to minister to Gentiles? Now if you remember the story, if you remember, if you go back and you look at the Acts, from Acts chapter 21 to about 23, or no, 28, you'll see those, all those chapters. A great read today, this afternoon, with a good cup of coffee. Go back and have that tea and read through those chapters and see what happened in the account. They were listening to Paul. They were listening to Paul of his arguments and his rebuttals and all of those things until he got to one word. What was that word? That he was ministering, going to minister to Gentiles. That they too could receive the glorious rewards that was promised to the Jews, now also promised to the Gentiles. And that's when they freaked out, if you remember. And from that point on, he, they were promised to kill that man, Paul. That's when he got sent off up to prison. If you remember, to go back to the story. He ended up, ended up being in prison because he was going to minister to the Gentiles because God put a calling on his life. This reconciliation of, by Christ of the Jews and the Gentiles to God in one body is a mystery revealed only by Christ and in Christ. And Paul says, I was filled up in my flesh, which is lacking the affliction of Christ. This word affliction means to, to be troubled, to, 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 uh, to be um, in pain or to have pressure and have, have trouble come in your life. He says, I am experiencing such trouble because of the fact that I live for Christ. That I am ministering to, to, to all men, to, especially to the Jews now. I have such distress and such pressure that is coming in here because of my relationship with Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And the fact that he was coming here, he's not saying that Jesus' death on the cross was not complete. We know what the scripture says. It is complete. What he's saying is, it's not about salvation that he's talking about here. He's talking about the service to Jesus Christ. Because he's, he's sitting here going, the cross is sufficient. The cross is complete. The, what Jesus did on his death and resurrection is complete. But now for us to serve Christ, to go out and share the gospel, to go out and do what God's call us to do, we're going to experience affliction. And the question is, is why as a Christian, why should we experience affliction? Because we're sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. Well, if you know the scriptures, John 15, 18 tells you, Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know that it will hate me. If, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. That is why we experience affliction, trouble, pressure, problems, if you proclaim if you're a Christian. 
if you share the love of Jesus Christ as being the only way, the truth, and the life, then people will come against you. When you stand for truth and you say the church doesn't save you, Jesus saves you. Because of those religious acts and rituals and, and the way you sing and the way you dress and the what you do and kneel and sit and cross and all these, that doesn't save you. It's faith in Jesus Christ alone that saves you. But these religious leaders and these Judaizers and these agnostics, who these man's philosophies and education and reasoning, these, these false teachers were coming in and trying to permeate and said, no, that's not enough. And Paul's saying, no, that is, it's complete. So as Christians, you and I, just like Jesus was suffered for who he is and what he came to, to do on the, as a mission to save the world from their sins, then he sends up and raises up apostles and prophets and, and you and I as saints to go out to be light, to share that same good news and put in your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Why would we not expect to have the same afflictions? Why would you not? Because you're an ambassador. You represent your Savior. Just put it in real world terms. Sometimes your positions at work put you at odds with others in this world. Because of who in the uniform you wear put you at odds just because of who you represent. An ambassador going to another country, because they represent a country, they automatically come at odds with other countries. You're an ambassador of Christ. Why would you not think that some neighbors are going to cause affliction against you because of your faith? Because of what you do and what you don't do. But as Paul says, rejoice. You know, you, you're rejoicing in these afflictions, these sufferings, because you stand for truth. You're, you're a light. You're, you represent Christ. And that is why And there's a great reward that is ahead of you and I when we get to heaven to the Bema seat. We'll be rewarded for our faith and just serving our God is what he's called us to do. But not only does he he's, he's rejoice in the sufferings because he's... He, he does it for Jesus Christ. Not, because, not only that, but because he's doing it for the Gentiles to give them hope that they've never had hope before. But he also, for the sake of his body, which is the church, this is the third cause of why Paul rejoices, because he's, he's suffering for the sake of Christ's body, the church here. Because if you remember, Paul at one time was the actual poster child of the persecutor of the church. He was, a run, was getting the, the authority and the papers to go around the countryside, around the known world, to seek after those of the way and to kill them and to persecute them and bring them into prisons and to, to murder them. But by God's grace, God revealed himself in the great light there on the road to Damascus, and he got saved, and his life was radically changed. 
And then Paul, once he got saved, once he devoted his life to the caring of the church, Paul's not asking what's in it for me. As do so many believers, once you come into Christ, you say, what is in for me? What can I gain from this? Wealth and health and, and prosperity and never be, you know, you know, suffer again. No, that's not what Paul's saying. He never asks what I get out of this. He says, instead, he's asking how much will God let me put into doing what he's called me to do. It's about what I give to others, not what I can get from others. It's what can I do for you, Lord? Not what, Lord, what can you do for me today? But that's what so many of the churches are t- here today is come to a saving grace of Jesus Christ and then become wealthy and healthy and wise. Blasphemy. It should be, brings us to our knees and humble and say, God, what can I do for you? What will you allow me to do for you? What what do you call me to do, Lord? I'll just do it. It doesn't matter where, doesn't matter how, doesn't how much, doesn't, none of that matters to me. I just want to serve you. Like Paul says, I'm a minister, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I just want to be a servant. He's not like a, an ascetic An ascetic is someone who focuses on their own holiness, on their own spiritual growth, on being become perfect in Christ. And they get so focused on self in a religious way. But Paul was not saying that. Paul says, I am dying of myself. Paul is saying, I am following in the footsteps of Jesus, and I want to be others-centered person. I want Paul understood that by serving others, as God leads him to serve and pour his life into others, that is when God will do a work in holiness in his life. That is how God works in bringing spiritual growth in his life. That's how he becomes mature in Christ, is because he's going out and pursuing and doing, we call it discipleship of others. The sacrificial sufferings of Christ are over. But his body, the church, is experiencing and will experience sufferings because of its stand for the faith in Jesus Christ. But keep in mind, my brothers and sisters, as a church body, as we go through this life and we go through the sufferings and the tribulations and the challenges, Understand that the head of the church, Jesus Christ himself, feels the sufferings that his, that his people endure for his namesake. And Paul says, I understand this, and now it's my turn to, ter- to in sharing of these afflictions and in others who would follow in Jesus' footsteps. And in Paul's footsteps, Paul was not complaining here. He was rejoicing of what God is doing in his life and what the, even the afflictions and the sufferings that come along with it, he's still rejoicing. Remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus and, and Jesus revealed himself, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you what? Persecute me. 
Because any time the church was persecuted, Jesus himself there in heaven was being persecuted. Jesus felt and knew what was happening to his body. And that has not changed, my brothers and sisters. As we see our brothers and sisters beheaded in other countries and are suffering and going through for his name's sake, it, he is impacted, he feels the suffering of his body. He's the head of the body. And when the body is harmed and it's hurt, he takes very much notice of what's going on because he feels the blunt and the blows and the sufferings that you are going through. You personally. And that's why I said in, in, 20, in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Paul says here, is, I'm a minister, I'm a servant of the body of Christ the church. He did not take the position of his own initiative. He didn't say, you know, what am I going to do in life? You know, how am I going to make a living? You know, you know, what would be a good way of making a lot of money and not have to work very much and, and kind of sit back and make my own hours? And, and I, I, yeah, I'll go into the ministry. That's what I'll do. I get to travel the whole world. I get to go to the whole of Asian Minor. I can get out of Jerusalem finally. I don't, I hate Jerusalem. No, that wasn't his mindset whatsoever. And it should never be a mindset for you and I when we are called by God as a child of God to minister. You don't sit there and say, how can I find and be in the ministry for Christ and have an easy, easy road here? Because you've been, you're, you're, you don't understand ministry. Because <laughs> ministry is not easy. Because you have to sacrifice. You have to put yourself last for the sake of other-centered ministry. So what he's saying here is, I didn't ask for this ministry. I'm saved. Here I am saved by the grace of God. And he says to me, I have something for you to do, Paul. It's a stewardship. Take care of my church. Take care. Reach the lost and dying world. I'm entrusting it into your hands. It's a stewardship. You're, you'll be responsible to go out and do what I'm calling you to do and directing you to do. And as we saw at the end of verse 29, I'm empowering with my might for you to do it. So he's saying here, I am a minister, a servant, according to what God has given me to take care of. He has given it to me for you. I'm here for you as Gentiles. I'm here for you, the lost. I'm here for you now, the Gentiles who are now believers, to fulfill the word of God. I'm not here to fulfill my own word, my own. I wrote a book, and now I'm going to go fulfill my book, and I'm going to go around and do book signing and book you know, teachings, and I'm going to teach you on my book and all my philosophies. And No, I'm going to teach you and fulfill what God's called me to do, the Word of God. I want you to know the Word of God. I want you to live the Word of God. 
I want you to get to a point where you're so mature and complete, as Paul says, I want you to be able to share the word of God. I want you to share the good news. I want you to go out and help others who are lost and dark, and in darkness and, and just complete loss and needs hope. Paul says, he gave me this. Verse 26 says, the mystery. That's what he gave him, the mystery. What is the mystery? This mystery that which was hidden from, from ages and from generations, but now, today, now, has been revealed to his saints. Paul has been made a minister by God with a purpose of understanding the mystery that has been hidden from ages and from generations. And now he is being used as a vessel of God to go and take this mystery out to and reveal to his saints. What is the mystery? The mystery is meant something once concealed but now revealed. In the biblical sense, a mystery is not a riddle. It is, it is a truth that can only be known by the revelation by God and not intuition. See, the heretics, these Colossian heretics that were weaving in there, they were coming in saying, we have a mystery, we have secrets in our, in our little society. And as you mature and grow, you will know more and more of the secrets, the deep secrets of our religious faith. Masons is a perfect example. You enter into that religion and then slowly they'll, as you have been tested and made sure you're committed, they bring more of these revealed mysteries of the, his, his, his mystical things in this religion that they have created and you get to rise up and you, you become this in this special little religious club, and only you that are most tested can reveal the secrets of God. Nothing new under the sun. That was happening back there. And so they were coming into these Gentile believers and saying, yes, you put your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, but we have secrets that we brought from Jerusalem or brought from the east. Because remember, many of the, all the roads led into these towns from the east and from the west and north and south. So these eastern mysticism and mystical and human philosophies and religiosities were creeping in and said, you need to also do these things. And Paul says, don't touchy. Don't listen. It is absolutely no Gouda. But that's what was happening. And it's still happening today. Today, false teachers come in through the YouTubes and through the, all these different mechanisms and books and everything else and these teachers creeping in and trying to subtly take you away from the simplicity of the gospel of following Jesus Christ and saying you must Add your, to your religious experience. And I'm warning you, as Paul is warning them, don't listen to any of those people. Come back to the word of God. Come back to your simplistic faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross.
It was complete. It was finished. This mystery, hidden from ages and generations, but now has been revealed. Verse 27 gives us that mystery. He says, to them God willed, so it's God's will here, to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. Christ can dwell within you. As a believer, he dwells within you. The spirit of Christ dwells within you and me. The wonder and the glory of abiding and dwelling Jesus in one's life was not clearly revealed in the Old Testament. Especially that he would abide in the Gentiles as well. Some people would say, oh yeah, I can understand the Jews. But not the Gentiles. They're just dogs in our eyes. The, Gen- the Jews looked at the Gentiles and you say, you eat like dogs, you sleep like dogs, your morality's like dogs, you're just dogs. You're on the other side of the tracks. You'll melt to nothing. Can you imagine being raised and hearing over and over from a society that you're nothing? That you'll mount to nothing. You have nothing. There's no pedigree. There's no history. And there's no nothing for you and no hope for you to survive. There's no promises for you as a Gentile. But then to have... Revealed to you by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, came and died on the cross for the sin of the world. And anyone who believed in Him would be saved. Set free from darkness and brought into the light. Live a life that is dead and now have a life in the light. To be told you'll amount to nothing and have all the promises of the glory of the riches of heaven. To have no hope to now have hope. And it is a free gift. You didn't have to be a millionaire. You didn't have to have a name. You didn't have to be at the right place at the right time. Didn't have to have a degree. God gave you faith and an opportunity to give and turn over your life to him and repent. To be free. Imagine That is now presented to you as someone who is lost in the darkness, have no hope. The ravages of the world have beaten you down to nothing. The flesh has devoured you. The the society has devoured you. You're to a point, you're even self-loathing yourself. And someone comes along and says, I'm going to give you hope. 
not in a religion, not in an organization, not in a program, but in the person, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And what do I have to do for it? Nothing but trust him. By faith, not by sight. He hands it to you. Do you want to receive it? And when you do, the Spirit of Christ, Christ comes inside you. An incredible mystery. That the God of the universe would dwell within you. <laughs> you and me. Can you imagine the God of the universe would want to dwell within you? And he does. If you're a believer today, he does. And that changes everything. Who you are, where you're going, what you're worth, the value. You're, as, you're precious in the sight of God. You're a joint heir with Christ. And the fullness of what God, God had offers is yours and mine for eternity, now, into eternity. If you look at it from the perspective of a Gentile, someone who had nothing and no hope, once were outside of the covenants of God that they heard the Jews had, but now they are included, they're part of it, they're members of his, God's family. You were once, they were living in spiritual ignorance and death. They were just, just getting by life. And now they are alive and sharing in the riches of God's wisdom in Christ. Once they had no hope. But now you have the glorious hope. Because Christ now lives and dwells within you. You've heard in the scriptures, if you've seemed to have, your, your walk with Christ has seemed to kind of dull out in this, is slowed down. You don't have that rejoicing. You don't have that joy. You don't have that peace. You don't have, you know, there's something missing. Come back to the first love and excitement when you recognize and realize you've been saved. Remember the day of salvation. When you gave your life, you just surrendered it all and said, God, save me. Go back to that first love, my brothers and sisters, and have that excitement and rejoicing that Paul is writing here to these believers. You can come back to that excitement. That joy, that peace that God can get, peace within, but also the peace of God can come in you. If you would just set your eyes upon Jesus. We sang it today. Were those just words or did you, were you really saying, I'm setting my eyes upon you, Jesus? Do I believe he's the portrait of the invisible God in the flesh in front of us, the, 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 right there in front of us? Do you believe he's the creator? Do you believe he's the sustainer? Do you believe he's the consistent, the one who holds everything together? As we read in the first part of, of chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, do you believe what you've read and what you've heard and what you've been pondering on these weeks? 
I encourage you to go back and ponder on the truths of God and recognize the fact, the truth, the mystery that Christ dwells within you as a believer. I don't know about you, that's amazing grace. And that's what Paul was saying here. It's just God's will. That you as Gentiles, you, you, as he said right here in verse 28, 29, this, I love how he finishes kind of part of this, that thought, thought process. He says, him, Jesus Christ, we preach. What does Paul preach? Jesus Christ. You mean he, does, he, didn't, he didn't have a ministry he preached on climate change? He preached Jesus Christ and how to get saved. That he, he, the mystery that he lives within you and empowers you to do the work that God's called you to do, to live a life as a Christian. He didn't preach politics. He didn't preach um, an organization or some church organization. Or he, he didn't preach himself. He preached Jesus Christ and him <laughs> crucified. That is all he preached. And so many people today in the churches, if you're going to tell me about Jesus Christ and the cross and dying for my sins one more time, I can't handle it. Well, then you have a problem. Because that's your Savior. That's what he's done for you and he dwells within you. How could you not want to talk about him? So many churches today will not mention the name Jesus, let alone death and resurrection or hell or say heaven. They keep it so neutral because they just want you to come. And they make it a social program as much as they can. But the power is in the name of Jesus. And what he has done, his work, It's his life. It's his way that sets you and me free. And there is no other way. And once you have that settled, it is absolutely rejoiceful. There's so much peace and so much joy and so much calmness about this world, even with the sufferings and afflictions Paul is saying here. He says, I preach him. That's what I do. Him we preach. Why? What does he do? I'm warning every man. I'm warning every man. I'm teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature or complete in Christ Jesus. We know Paul the the, the preacher. We know Paul the prisoner. But here we can see Paul is the tremendous prayer warrior. He is striving, as we see in verse 29, to this end, I also labor in striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. He's striving, he's praying for these individual saints that he's never meant. He's, he's sitting there praying with everything he has. The word strive here. And also in chapter 2, verse 1, the word conflict are very athletic terms. 
These are where the athletics, you know someone's training for the Olympics. They train daily to exhaustion and pains and sufferings of the muscles and, and, and failures and getting back up and trying and trying again and falling down and getting back up and trying and trying, trying to perfect what they are, to, are called to do and to run that race. Paul's saying, I am striving to pure exhaustion daily to do what God's called me to do. My Christianity, my life as a, Christ, as a Christian is not about my convenience. It's not about what I'm willing to give up. It's what God is allowing or willing to allow me to, to give up. He never once said, what is it for me? Is what can I give out? To the point, not only where I'm just uh, spiritually spent by giving out to those in need, but I'm also mentally and physically here, I am physically exhausted serving God. Is that speaking of you and me? Do we find our lives spent physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually spent for the sake of others? Or is it all about convenience for me? You're asking me to give up my Saturday to, to reach the loss or to spend time and, 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 and spend time warning someone or encourage someone in the faith? You mean I have to give up a Saturday? You mean you have to go every Sunday to fellowship? You know, all these things that you feel like you have to know. You've got to get to a point where your relationship with Christ that who dwells within you wants to spend time with you one-on-one, -on -one, but he also wants to use you in the lives of other people to reach the lost and encourage those in the faith. Are you willing to physically and mentally and spiritually be spent for someone else? And it starts within the home. Your first ministry is your spouse and your children. Are you willing to physically and mentally and spiritually be spent for them? Have you come to the point in your life like Paul that says, I'm dead to self, I live for Christ and I preach Christ. I live by the word of God and I'm willing to warn people, every man, not just some people. Yeah, I'll do it with my family. That's my number one ministry, Corey, I got it, I got a pastor, but I, don't ask me to go do it to some stranger. Well, as you mature and you grow, I know to some point, if you continue to follow and read the word of God and continue to follow Christ, it will get to a point where you'll finally stop dying, of your, you'll die of yourself. You'll stop being so selfish and realize there's a dying world around you. And you will let God work through your life who dwells within you. Because remember, it's, it's God that's doing the work. He's the only one that saves. You don't save a person. You can bring a person, a man to Christ, but it's only Christ that can bring the man to him. He does the work. We're just a vessel prepared and used by him. A clay that's moldable and shapeable by the potter's hands made into the vessel that he has all has planned out for you are you so hard so stiff and you just feel like you're just spitting on the wheel and 
And nothing seems to be being accomplished of any value of Christ, for Christ on your life. I want to encourage you today. Understand the mystery that Christ lives within you as a believer. Let the potter's hands have his way. Let the living water pour over you and soften you and be moldable and shapeable to create a vessel that can be used in honor of God. But if you're not a believer today, you're just pretending to be a Christian. You haven't given your life to Christ by faith. Today, I encourage you. Today's the day of salvation for you. God is calling. I know he's knocking at the door of your heart. I know your heart is beating right now. And if it's speaking to you, give your life to Christ. Just recognize who he is and what he's done for you. And put your trust in him. All your heart and mind, soul, and strength. Hold on to nothing of this world or of your flesh or of your ways. Repent of all. God, I give you all of it. Every last bit of it. And I just fall down to your, on my knees and ask for, for your grace and your mercy. That's why we come to the table. Because as believers, we, we can get spotted up, we can get dirtied up by the world and our flesh can rear up. But like Paul, he warns people. He teaches every man all the wisdom, the things of the things of God, to help a man to become perfect, as in mature in Jesus Christ, a mature Christian, a mature, a complete Christian, to understand this. Because Paul says, to this end, I labor. I don't do anything else. My life is about laboring to reach the lost and encourage those in the faith. I labor to the point of striving of pure exhaustion physically when I collapse at the end of the day because I've done everything that God has called me to do. Is that speaking of you and me? Because Paul knew that he was empowered by the Almighty God to do that. That he wasn't doing it for self-gain. He wasn't doing it to get his name on a book or in a, uh, you know, to be the you know, trending, a number one trend in the, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever else that is. I don't know all those details. Or do you just humbly, like Paul is just humbly going and being faithful what God's called him to do, where he lives and where he works and where his house is and where the community and where he goes and, and goes about and what, who God brings on the phone or however God brings someone across your life. If your mind is so focused on Christ daily, talking with him like, it's like breathing, it's like you're talking to him constantly then you will not miss out on the opportunities of what God wants to do in and through your life and to bless you in the process of doing it. Don't put limits on what God wants to do in your life. Paul didn't, could have easily said, are you kidding me? I could have had a life in Jerusalem. Why would I want to go through the, this pain and suffering for the Gentiles? It's the same thing. You just put in the same context. Corey, why would I put my, my life on hold and everywhere else and put it here in Watertown, in Jefferson community, in the North Country, and to 
serve people I've never met before. Why? Why? Because God called me here and God called me to share the gospel. God called me to encourage people in the faith to do a mighty work and to keep your eyes on Jesus until he calls us home. Don't get me wrong. I hope he, I pray that he'll rapture us out of here today and takes us all home. But at the same time, I heart hurts and groans for the people I see lost and in darkness in this community. And I am willing, and I hope you are too, to be a, use, a vessel used by God to reach the lost and encourage those in the faith. Because I'm telling you, brothers, there is no other reason why, at being saved, why we're here. There is no other reason but to do the work of God. And allow His power to empower you to do that work. We, because apart from Him, we can do nothing. And so each day you ask for the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit to overflow you, to touch the lives that God brings across your path. And watch. You've, some of you have already experienced what God wants to do in, in and through your life. Some of you used to experience it, but you no longer experience it because you've allowed things into your mind, false teaching, or the world, or your past, the fears of the future whatever it may be for you God's revealing it to you now as we come to the table just lay all that at the table just let it down confess it to him and say God help me Paul was strong because Paul was not a perfect man he didn't have it all dialed in just perfectly but he kept his eyes on Jesus and continued, even with his shortcomings and, and the lack of whatever it had been. As we read the scriptures, we can see it in the lives of godly men and godly women that God used. So get back up. Get your eyes on him. Fall back and deeper in love with your Savior. And allow him to do the work in and through your life. Amen?